Well, in Ephesians chapter 2 so far, it's, we've, we've taken several weeks to get through even just this chapter because Paul has been dealing with so many important fundamental aspects to the Christian faith, things that are absolutely core to the things the church has believed for 2,000 years and the things that guide our lives with Jesus Christ. So he's been dealing with these powerful truths of the gospel. None of us deserve salvation, but God gives this gift away to us anyway. God offers grace to all of us freely, every one of us freely. None of us are different in that regard, but God offers his gift of salvation fully and equally. Every one of us is distant from the family of God, but Christ draws us near into his hope. And we talked last week about how where we in our sin and in our brokenness, we like to create dividing walls between us and other people, create compartments in what people are like. While we do that in our sin, Christ comes and tears down all of those walls and pulls all of us near into himself. Powerful, powerful stuff. And in that passage of Scripture, Paul begins to say that one of the things that Christ is doing is he is building a family. He's building the body of Christ. Now, the family that Christ is building is the church, the church of Jesus Christ. Now, what do we mean when we talk about the church of Jesus Christ? Who is the church? Well, here's a fairly quick way of understanding that. The church is a gathered group of people who have been saved by God's grace, who intend to follow Jesus, and who want the rest of the world to know Him too. The church is always gathered. This is one of the things that the church has done in all cultures, in all of its forms, is we have gathered together as followers of Jesus Christ. It's in homes, it's in catacombs, it's on street corners, it's under trees, it's inside of buildings. The church always gathers. And we gather because we are recipients of the grace of God. We've been saved by the gift that God has given us, right? We are people who intend to follow Jesus. We're learning that the things that Jesus says about life really are true. And what does it look for this life to follow in that path? And we really do want other people to know Jesus too. That what this life is is a life of flourishing. It's what God created us for. And we want people to know Jesus. This is the church. This family, this church, guys, it is unlike every other human institution. The church of Jesus Christ is the institution that God has built. It is the institution that is filled with his presence and with his power. It is the institution that is founded upon God and who he is and the truths about Jesus Christ. It's unlike every other institution. We are blessed to be a part of it. Now, Ephesians chapter 2, in a lot of ways, is about what God is fixing. Fixing what is broken. We are dead in our sins, and so God fixes that by His grace. We are distant from the presence of God because of our sins, so Jesus Christ fixes that in His grace. And now as Paul pulls these things together as the chapter ends and the next one begins, he begins to talk more directly about the family of God, the church of Jesus Christ. And here's an idea that's going to act as a guiding thought for us today that will actually become important to the rest of the book of Ephesians, and it is this. The church is a monument to God's triumph. I like that thought. I'm just going to kind of leave that with you. We'll tease that out a little bit today, and we'll just kind of keep coming back to that through the rest of the book. But the church is a monument to God's triumph. 
So in this passage of Scripture this morning, here's some things we're going to deal with. First of all, we are fellow citizens together with the saints in the church. Remember, this was important last time. We don't have to become like other people in order to join the church of Jesus Christ. The Gentiles did not have to become like Jews in order to become Christians. Women didn't have to become like men in their culture in order to become Christians. We're all becoming something else. We're becoming children of God and we belong to Jesus Christ. And so we're joining this community of the saints of God. Secondly, Paul's going to touch on this, but what we believe about God is absolutely critical to the life of the church. Guys, the church of Jesus Christ is not built on current social theories or politics. It is built on God's eternal revelation of himself to us through his word. That's the foundation of the church of Jesus Christ across all languages and cultures for thousands of years now. Who is Jesus? And how does that change us? And then thirdly, and Paul's going to talk about this, it's something that actually shows up a few times in different epistles, but the church is the dwelling place of God. God is here doing things that actually only God can do. And so when we gather together, Paul's going to say, we become this living thing that is filled with the presence and the work of God. And then when we depart and when we scatter and we go to our different places of home and work and on and on, we take the presence of God with us. So he does hear what only he can do. Then he goes with us so that he can continue to do there what only God can do. Some powerful stuff about what the church is. So let's begin reading in Ephesians chapter 2. Let's start reading in verse 17. A couple of verses we finished with last time. But then we'll make our way through the end of the chapter. So Ephesians 2, verse 17, the passage goes like this. And he came, and Jesus came, and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both, or we all, have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. But our fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And he came, Paul says, and he preached peace. Peace between us and God and peace between each other in Christ. For those of you who are far off from the presence of God, he preached peace to you and drew you near. For those who felt that you were already near, he preached peace to you as well. And he pulls everybody together into this body that is the church. So Christ preaches peace to everyone, even those people that we're not all that sure of. Right? We've talked about this. This gift of grace is sometimes very offensive to us because it cuts against the sense of, well, they don't deserve it. And yet the grace is offered, and yet peace is offered even to them. See, guys, the point is I don't deserve it either, and yet I have become a recipient of the grace of God. So Paul says Christ grants us access, all of us access, through the Spirit to the Father. 
There is one church of Jesus Christ. There is one entryway into the presence of God, and Christ has secured it. He gives it to us by the presence of the Spirit, and it's all to our Father God. So there's not a church for this group of people, and this is how they make it to God. There isn't a church for this group of people because they're different from this group, but this is how they make it. That's not how it works. It's all through Christ, the gift of the Spirit to the Father. And this is going to become important to Paul even as the book continues. So guys, speaking of this kind of unity that Christ is creating inside of himself in the church, God is our creator, Jesus is our redeemer, and the Holy Spirit is our empowering presence. Let me say that again. God is our creator, Jesus is our redeemer, and the Holy Spirit is here today as God's empowering presence. This unity that Christ is creating inside of his church. So, guys, the power of the gospel is not in our differences and how our differences can be exploited. But the power of the gospel is in our one and only God who grants to everyone his gift of grace. This is the power of the gospel. This is one of the reasons why the church is different, why the church must be different from the rest of the world. The things that Paul says here are are really life-changing. They're culture changing. They're structure changing for us. So we remind ourselves of a couple of these thoughts from last week in verses 17 and 18. And verse 19 begins with this phrase, so then. You know, we can't pass that up. It's, it's Paul saying, well, if this is all true, then this is true. So the consequence of all of these incredible things that Christ has given to us and secured for us, the consequence now gets played out inside of the family of God our lives with each other inside of Christ, right? So all of us, he says, so then, in verse 19, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So all of us were away from God, but now we are no longer, he says, strangers and aliens. Paul uses some really interesting vocabulary when he talks about that's not who you are, strangers and aliens. Inside of the Roman world, the the way that they would um, count uh, the numbers of people who lived in cities is that they would put people into certain categories. This number of people, this kind of people, a group of people live in this city, this number of this group of people live in this city. The census is coming up here in 2020, and this is what we do, right? You've got to fill out all these boxes. This is who I am. This is how old I am. This is boom, boom, boom. You know, this is just what governments do. They create categories, and this is what everybody belongs in. No different with the Roman world either. And they had at least three major categories for the kind of person you were if you lived inside of a Roman city. The first category was full citizen. You were a Roman citizen. You had their version of property rights or voting rights and so on and so forth. It becomes important to the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts that he is a full Roman citizen. So it actually grants him certain privileges as his life unfolds. So you've got a group of people who are full citizens. And then you've got another group of people that are what they call the resident aliens. You're not from here, but you live here. If you were a resident alien, you weren't a citizen. You did not get certain privileges if you were actually a Roman citizen. And then you had a third tier of person that were the transient foreigners. They were immigrants in the sense that they're not just not from here, you're actually just passing through. And these were tiered versions of citizenship. 
one, two, and three in that way. So those second two categories were in that sense lower than that top category of full citizen. So the second two lower categories, that's the vocabulary that Paul uses to say you're no longer strangers or aliens. You're no longer disconnected from full citizenship. You're no longer outside of that inner circle of people who can exercise power, who can exercise rights and privileges. He says, that's not you anymore in Jesus Christ. He says, all of us are now, what does he call us? Full citizens in the kingdom of God. If you are in Christ, you are not separated from the fullness, the absoluteness of the kingdom of God and everything that comes from it. So Paul's grabbing these things that were important to these people. They belong to this strata of this society, this strata. He said, no, in the church, that's no longer what happens. All of us are full citizens. None of us are locked out from the gifts and the privileges that are given to us in Jesus Christ. In fact, he says, we're all saints. All of us are saints. This is beautiful language. Now, some of you are thinking, I know some other people in this room, and I know who is and is not a saint. <laughs> but this is interesting. This is good. And this kind of thing happens a few times as Paul and Peter and John, they'll talk about the church. Remember, it's not Greeks. You have to become like Jews to become Christians. Everybody is becoming something else, and what we're becoming are saints, God's people. That's who all of us are becoming. Now, depending on the background that you come from, when you hear saint, you might be thinking of those people who have, pick, have paintings of them, you, you know, done and so forth, and halos around their head, and they're hallowed in certain kinds of ways. They lived hundreds of years ago, and they lived these really special and unique lives, and now, you know, they're, they're saints. That's not the way the New Testament treats the notion of saint. Saint is a title that belongs to everybody who is a follower of Jesus Christ. Saints in Scripture are not perfected, or special people, but they are people who are now set aside for God to become holy. We now belong to Him to become His children, His kind of people. You may remember some of this language earlier on in the book of Ephesians. Paul says, you have been raised with Christ in the heavenlies. The world no longer has you. The world no longer lays claim on you. Now you are held on to by Christ Himself. We are saints. We belong to Him now for His purposes and for His work. That's what all of us are becoming, our saints to God. And then he uses this language. I love this language. <clears throat> but now you are fellow citizens with the saints. We get that sort of um, status, if you will. <clears throat> but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Now, one of the most common images in the New Testament, in the Old Testament as well, but especially we see it in the New, one of the most common images for the church is family. We have God our Father. We've become brothers and sisters in Christ. God has adopted us into His home, and we have become His children. The church is the bride of Christ. We now belong to the household of God. This kind of family language is all over inside of the New Testament. It's an important image to what Paul means, to what Christ means when he talks about who is the church and what are we like and what is our relationship with God like. We are people who belong to God's 
house. And when Paul says we belong to the household of God, he uses this really cool, crazy Greek word. And every time I try to say it out loud, I butcher it. So we're going to see if I can get it right this time. It's not easy to say. But the word that he uses here is oikios. Everybody say oikios. Now you go home and see if you butcher that later on today. Oikios. And the word just simply means household. Where we live is a family, a small family, an extended family. This is where we take care of each other. This is where we come back to at home, you know, at night. This is just literally our household. But that root becomes a longer word, and it's used several other places in the New Testament, as well as in just the general Greek world of Paul's days. Oikios is one of those words. Oikonomia is another one of those words. Oikonomia. I'm going to repeat that because I said it right. (laughs) Oikonomia is household management. It's a really cool word. You see, household... This word for household is not just the physical place where we sleep at night, the physical place where my family sort of belongs together. The term carries with it administrative responsibilities and carries with it moral responsibilities. So if you are part of a household, you have this administrative responsibility to take care of the household to take care of the other people who are inside of that household. You go out and you get a job or you're involved in a trade so that you can bring home resources to feed and clothe and shelter the people who are in the household. So it is a moral obligation. It is an administrative obligation. Oikonomia is a word that literally means household management. It is where we get our concept of economics from. How do we take care of this group of people and how does it do well? We are part of... The household of God. This is beautiful. We become benefactors of a father who is taking care of his home. We are in the house where God is responsible for the administration of our lives, for the resources that are necessary for our lives from day to day to day. We are in the house of God. It's why we read that passage of Scripture during worship. It's a curious passage right at the end of Psalm chapter 52. Years ago, it grabbed me, and it has been stuck in the back of my head now for a long time. That passage of Scripture is something that I use over and over again in my own sort of personal prayer with God. And listen to at least that first verse again there at the end of Psalm 52. I am like... A green olive tree in the household of my God. So I will trust in the steadfast love of my Lord forever. I'm this young, small, vulnerable plant that God has planted inside of his courtyard. He's fenced me in. He's become responsible for me. He will tend to me. He will take care of me, and nothing will happen to me except it happens by the hand of God. I'm like a young tree fenced in my God's backyard. So now I can trust in the steadfast love of the Lord forever. David writes Psalm 52 while Saul is pursuing him in the wilderness and trying to kill him. 
And this is David's response. You know what? I am in my God's house. That means it's going to be, whatever happens is going to be okay. God is responsible for me. And he will take care of me. You're no longer outside of the courtyard. You're no longer outside and away from the household of God. Jesus has pulled us in. And now we're taken care of. You see, in the church of Jesus Christ, we're home. We're home in the church of Jesus. If you don't feel like you belong anywhere else, Jesus pulls you in. If you feel comfortable and okay and good with your station in life, Jesus still pulls you in. We need you here. You need us here. Christ wants you here inside of the church. We're home as Christ pulls us in. This household is a place where God tends to us, is responsible for us, takes care of us, and it is God's house. And so it's built upon Him, upon the truths about Him, and nothing and nobody else. This is what the church is built on, so this is what Paul says in verse 20. We are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone. Guys, the church of Jesus Christ is not a random organization of people who just happen to have an affinity for very similar sorts of things. This isn't uh, the ultimate Frisbee group. We just like to do that, and so we get together and do that and get angry at each other every now and then. I don't know how many, how many of you have noticed this, but Facebook is now running ads and commercials for their Facebook groups. And if you enjoy playing the kazoo and dancing down the street, you can actually join a Facebook group. And the image in those commercials is we've built community for you. It's just a piece of software. It's social media. But Facebook knows something that God has built into us, and that is that we want community. And the church isn't just about we have an affinity for a few things together. It's something else entirely. Even though everyone who belongs to the church of Jesus Christ all loves the same person. We're here because of Jesus, right? And Jesus is building a family in his church. Now listen to me. The church is not primarily and fundamentally a civic organization that tries to do good things for the community. But... When this organization, when the church itself is healthy, so are individuals and families in the community around them. Does that make sense? We exist to glorify Jesus Christ. And when we do that well, then health will result from that. Both inside of the church and outside of the church, I believe. The church of Jesus Christ is not an organization that has been designed to produce a political platform to elect people to key positions of leadership, and then finally maybe we'll get our way. It's not why the church exists, but when this organization, when the church does its job well, positions of leadership and influence can be filled with people who love Jesus. You see how that works? We don't exist for one thing, but man, the consequences can be profound if we focus on the thing that we were designed to do. In this organization, the Church of Jesus Christ is not held hostage to the changing whims of cultural preferences. It's not. But a healthy and courageous church can become a safe place for people who are fleeing cultural destruction, 
which I believe is the kind of place the church will be more and more in the next few years. People will flee the destruction of our culture, and the church is going to have to be a unique kind of place. And it can become an influence to the world around it. This is the kind of thing that the church can do if we focus on what is important to us. So the church isn't founded on those kinds of things. It has a foundation in Jesus Christ and in the truths that are taught about Jesus Christ. So Paul says we're based on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And Paul is primarily thinking of those who walked with Jesus Christ, the disciples of the Gospels who become the apostles. And Paul is one of those because he was called by Jesus Christ. We learn in the book of Acts that there are prophets alive inside of the church who have this unique insight from the Holy Spirit about what's going to happen and how the Holy Spirit is organizing the church. Paul says we're built on that. We have to listen to those who heard Christ because they're teaching us what Christ taught them. That's what we stick to. And you hear this over and over in the New Testament. Peter is another one of these apostles who mentions this, and he does it in this passage by referring to Paul. In 2 Peter 3, here's part of what Peter says about this. Encount the patience of the Lord is salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, which might be the book of Romans that he's referring to, according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all of his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them in Paul's letters that are hard to understand. There's a couple of those things, right? Which ignorant and unstable, the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. So he takes what Paul writes as accurately representing what Christ taught, which makes it scripture like everything else. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Be careful not to leave what we've learned from Jesus Christ because the church is built on Christ. So they all teach how important it is to stay close to these things that have been taught to us from the beginning. What came from Christ? What did the apostles teach? That's what we stick with. Jude This tiny little crazy book near the end of the New Testament is actually all about this topic. So in Jude, there's only one chapter, verse 3, he says this, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. I had some other things I wanted to write, but when I heard how things were going in the church... I learned that there were heretics inside of the church that were tearing you apart. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to write to you to make sure that you fight for the truths that we learned from Christ himself. Once for all delivered to the saints, okay? At the end of the book of Jude, he encourages Christians by saying this, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, So keep building yourself up in the things that you believe about Jesus Christ and praying in the Holy Spirit. I want a dynamic and active and spirit-filled group of praying people. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Don't grow bitter and angry and divisive, but stay close to the love of God with each other, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads us to eternal life. The apostles and the prophets... 
And we understand that all of Scripture has been breathed by God, and all of these things are important for us to not just understand, but to hold to, to stick to. And remember, the primary task of the Old Testament prophet wasn't to give us the book of Revelation in the Old Testament. It wasn't to foretell the future in the apocalypse. There's some of that in the Old Testament prophets. Their primary job was to remind the people of God of God, (laughs) to remind the people of God of the responsibility of a life that they live in God. That was their primary task, to remind people of their life in Jesus Christ. So, guys, a church, a local church, I don't just mean the church universal, I mean an actual local physical church is intended to ground itself in Scripture, always pointing people to Jesus Christ. This is in many ways the primary task of the local church, to believe the things that are true about Jesus Christ. And here's what we mean by to believe our faith, to believe in the things of Jesus Christ. You can think of it like this. To believe in these things is learning God's character and God's plan for redemption through the biblical story. Who is God and what is He doing and how does Scripture teach it to me? This is what we mean by believing in Jesus Christ. Guys, these things are so important in the New Testament that we understand the flip side of this coin is true as well. That if a church strays from biblical teaching or if a church decides to ignore biblical teaching for what they believe to be other more pressing cultural or social matters, they run the risk, and I'm going to say this because this is the special group of people here this morning, right? They run the risk of not being the church anymore. And I'm serious about that. If this is what the church is, and a local church or a denomination or whatever it is ceases to do this, they run the risk of no longer being the church of Jesus Christ. And I think that is happening all around us. Christ is the only place where any of us will find life. Christ is the only place where any of us will find life. A pastor by the name of David Jackman wrote in a book I enjoyed called Preach the Word. He says this about the role of Scripture inside of the church. The Bible really must be in the driver's seat, dictating the content of the message, its contemporary application, and even its shape. When we serve God's Word in this way, we come to realize that the Bible is a book about God long before it is a book about us, and that its strongest relevance and most urgent application is to teach us how to live rightly in the light of His unchanging nature. The Bible is a book about God long before it's a book about us. And we are built on it. We're built on faithful teaching on it. We're built on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. So guys, a successful church, and that word success, when you attach it to a church, is a slippery, weird word. Success for a church doesn't begin primarily in its numbers. It begins in its fidelity to the things of God, its faithfulness, and its courage. We want more people to know Jesus Christ, but our success is in our courage. Our success is in our faithfulness. Our success is in our fidelity to these things with Jesus Christ. So the church is first and foremost God's family, and we're about Him and what He wants to do. Remember, the church is a monument 
to God's triumph. It is a living, breathing thing that is filled with the grace and the power and the love and the mercy and the work of God. So here's what Paul says. In whom, in verse 21, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We understand biblically that at salvation, every soul becomes the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. Every follower of Jesus Christ has the Holy Spirit living inside of them. But Scripture teaches us that when we pull together, when we gather as the church of Jesus Christ, the torch that we carry in our lives becomes a bonfire. This becomes a unique place that becomes filled with the presence and the work and the power of God when the church gathers. So God dwells here, Scripture says, in in special ways. Peter, we go back to Peter's letters, he uses this image as well. In 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, As you come to him, meaning Jesus, Jesus is a living stone who was rejected by men, but in the sight of God, he is chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This unique thing that God is doing inside of his family, inside of the church. Now, when we talk about the presence of God, we say things like, God is omnipresent. God is always everywhere. And that's just absolutely true about God. If you have to fill out an application to become God, one of the, one of the qualifications is you have to be omnipresent. Always, everywhere. That's who you have to be. That's who God is. So we understand that about God. But the Scripture also speaks of these places where God is uniquely, manifestly present. He is uniquely and manifestly present inside of the lives of His people, inside of the life of His church as well, in all kinds of ways. So the New Testament simply says that when the people of God gather together, God is with us as individuals, and then it is God who is between us. As we spend time with each other and as we worship with each other, it is all done in the presence of Jesus Christ. Uh, this reminded me of a magnificent little book written by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It's called Life Together. At one point during the Nazi regime, Bonhoeffer uh, was training pastors, and he had to actually create, he and some others created an underground secret seminary, right? So that's where these pastors were being trained before the Nazis finally broke them up as well. And he wrote this little book called Life Together to talk about, here's how we do life together as these people who are being trained into ministry as followers of Jesus Christ. And it's just this beautiful little book. But here's part of what Bonhoeffer says about our life with each other in Christ. Christianity means community through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. No Christian community is more or less than this. Whether it be a brief single encounter or the daily fellowship of years, Christian community is only this. We belong to one another only in and through Jesus Christ. This is what this is. When we gather briefly, when we're here together for years together, it is in Jesus Christ. It is because of Jesus Christ. It is for Jesus Christ. This is where God is worshipped. This is where we come to gather to dedicate this time to glorify Him with each other, beside each other. This is where God is at work among us, where we become 
ministry to each other, and we become a ministry to the community around us because of what God is doing inside of His family. So guys, a couple of thoughts follow very naturally from all of this. And can I say this? Commit yourself to church. Not out of a sense of obligation or because the pastor wants to see you here on Sunday mornings, and most of you I really do want to see here on Sunday mornings. But because God is up to something here. Because God is doing something in the lives of His children inside of His church. Because God is uniquely here when we gather to worship. Commit yourself to church. We need you here. You need us here. This becomes really important over time to us. You guys, a healthy church is committed to a kingdom full of people. And my friend Danny uses this language all the time, and he is right. A kingdom full of people who are contributors to the things of God and not just consumers of the things of God. It is so easy to treat a church like you would treat a fast food restaurant. I like the french fries over here. And I like the cheeseburgers over here. So I'm going to go over here for this. I'm going to go over here for this. We treat fast food restaurants as if they exist for us, and they kind of do if you're into that sort of thing, right? But what happens is this. Well, I like this at this church over here, and then I like this at this church over here. So I'm going to use this church for this as long as this church produces it for me. And then I'm going to use this church for this as long as it produces it for me. I'm going to consume and consume and consume and consume. That's not what Paul is talking about. That's not what God is building. That's not what the Holy Spirit is trying to do inside of your life and my life. We become members of a body. We become contributors. We become hands and feet and eyes and ears. We become contributors to the body of Christ as we gather together in the presence of God. And as we do so, guys, The church does not become a monument to an individual. It doesn't become a monument to a group of people with a unique set of resources and capabilities. It doesn't become a monument to a denomination. It becomes a monument to the victory of God over the forces of this world. That's what we become a part of in the church of Jesus Christ, in the family of God. Let's pray.